0: Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast presented by TasteWise. Today I'm joined once again by Miriam and we'll be talking about the seasonality of trends. We spent a lot of time talking about um, how trends behave, how they progress and evolve. And today we're going to be talking about the trends that are most likely to see uh, seasonal spikes either throughout the holidays or different times of year and why that is important, how that is different from regular trends. We've been getting a lot of questions about that. Um, So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Miriam, this is um, episode number six of our podcast. Um, and, uh, we got our first correction. So a few episodes ago, um, I was talking about a Spanish tortilla and I misled you. (laughs) I said, uh, it was, I used the Hebrew word, Pashtida, which, um, is how we called it back home, um, which is obviously a casserole. Um, but we had a listener reach out to point out it is not a casserole. It is an omelet.
1: Thank you for that correction. It's important. I'm glad we clarified that.
0: Yeah. So to our topic for today, we're talking about seasonal trends. Um, so you can can you kick us off by talking a little bit about... Um, how they differentiate from uh, what we can call like the standard trend or like the the regular trends that you see?
1: Sure. So um, we talked in last week's episode about what makes a trend a trend. And that might seem like an obvious question, but I think we actually had a really productive conversation about it um, and kind of the intricacies and nuances of what makes something actually trending. Um, And it gets a little bit more complicated when we think about seasonality. And when we look at a market like the U.S. or the U.K., um, there are kind of areas in the calendar or timeframes in the calendar that we know to expect some sort of uh, you know, seasonal aspect. So we can just run through those quickly. There's um, around New Year's, we can see this sort of seasonal spike in uh, different types of motivation, specifically around diets. Um, we can see in the spring around, you know, let's say holidays like Mother's Day, Easter, Passover, things like that. Um, when we get to the summer, we obviously see spikes in kind of summer-related things, beverages, refreshment, whatever. Um in the fall we have everything from you know in the US Halloween, Thanksgiving, things like that. Um, and all the way through to the holidays sort of dominated by Christmas time um, all the way through. So what makes any of those a trend? How can you know when you look at let's say Christmas 2020 or more broadly the holiday season 2020 how can you identify within that what is actually a trend versus a flash in the pan, kind of moment. Um, how can you sort of expect what's going to happen in the holiday of the next year?
0: Are you talking about things that are, um, like obvious, like for example, I think we mentioned the, uh, I think we mentioned pumpkin beer, mm-hmm. like obviously pumpkin related stuff is going to be popular around sure. Halloween. You probably don't need TasteWise wise to, to, to tell you that. <laughs>
1: Surprise. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, uh, the, um, sorry, are you talking about those types of things or are you talking about like a specific diet, all of a sudden, being um, popular around yours resolutions, and how can you prepare for for a trend like that?
1: I would say both. Um, I think probably what's more top of mind for most of our listeners is the kind of product side of things, or the the, the ingredient, or the the overall trend based on seasonality. But it is an interesting question to look at uh, the role of motivations as a trend. Um, And I think New Year's is the one that I've seen at least stand out the most in my recent research that we always see in January, some sort of spike around diets. Um, And I think that's probably the most significant um, example, but yeah, I think otherwise the the bit, the more probably relevant question is looking at ingredients and dishes and all that uh, over the course of the year.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because um, just to to kind of set the stage a little bit from the perspective that uh, we're coming at this from, This, uh, obviously, we always take a look at uh, the three major use cases of the food and beverage industry across the lifecycle of a product. So from new product development and ideation, developing a new concept, finding a new um, ingredient or dish or category to work in. Marketing, trying to segment your audience, making sure that you're using the right keywords, producing the right recipes and going after the right set of people that will actually want to consume more of your product and helping them do so in yeah. um, sales, more in the food service realm. so. How do you bring this product into food service? How do you sell it to restaurants? Um, both in trying to identify specific restaurants and also um, trying to refine your your pitch for it. So when we're talking about seasonal trends and we're talking about okay, these are the spikes that we're seeing year over year in um, uh, like different seasons or different periods of, uh, of time, um, we're talking about this from the perspective of I think mostly new product development and marketing, right? Like. If you have an existing product and you want to get ready for a spike, um, how should you be positioning that product?
1: Yeah, but I think positioning also has applications within sales to food service, for sure. I think it, it I think it touches on each of those three use cases that you just pulled out, right? Um, if you have, let's say, I'm just kind of pulling this out of the air here, but let's say you have a, a vegan product. Um, and through your trend research, you actually know that it's going to be super, super relevant for, I don't know, a vegan Thanksgiving, whatever you can yeah. use that in your trend pitches when you're trying to create new vendor relationships within food service. So I actually would say that it's it's relevant for all three of those categories for um, home cooking for sure. Yeah.
0: You're right. I mean, if you have food service partners, I think the the um, most previous like the, the latest things that uh, that I was taking a look at is um, diets specifically keto, yeah. um, and I was looking at keto just on um, on spotlight. Spotlight is a free Tool that you can use on our website, on tastewise.io. You can, um, it's not a trial or anything, it's a, a free product that uh, you're welcome to use. So on Spotlight, you're able to see the comparison between uh, penetration of a trend um, in menus versus social. So you can yeah. see how many people are talking about it on social versus um, how is it performing on actual uh, restaurant menus. And it was very, very clear Uh, That you can see, obviously, the spike around January where people are making New Year's resolution. But it was also clear that um, food service like restaurants are getting better bit by bit by answering that demand with things that are specifically geared towards that Diet um, year over year, so it would be interesting to see how that performs across other diets that are maybe relevant to your products.
1: Right, and I think that's also part of the application for um, the kind of food service sales enablement use case is is helping restaurants be quicker. To catch on to the curve of trends that you can expect in coming years. So we often see that um, consumer trends preface food service trends, which is sort of the natural movement of the market, right? Something becomes popular among consumers themselves, food service catches on to it, reflects it in their menus. Um, And that's one of the great things about food service is that menus can be dynamic, right? It's a lot easier to change a menu than it is to create a new product. Time to shelf is you know twelve to eighteen months on average, whereas yeah. menu changes are are a lot faster. So, um, yeah, I think understanding seasonality really, really deeply can be really actually helpful for for food service.
0: That's also a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into it in a lot of detail because we talk about it a lot about food services versus retail when yeah. you're looking for innovation. Mm-hmm. Food service is a much better reflection of uh, areas um, that could be white spaces for innovation. Uh, rather than uh, retail, which uh, shows you kind of innovation that happened maybe 18 months ago. Um, So let's jump into our first example.
1: Yeah. Um, So I actually want to, I'm going to start really from square one with this example. Um, And I want to kind of call us back to the original question. So how do we understand a trend uh, that only crops up really once a year? So how can I know, for example, Um, what is gonna be relevant for, let's say, Christmas time, holiday time, 2021, when it's July, right now, right? Nobody is on on social media or on menus or, you know, wherever, recipes, talking about, uh, hey, it's July 26th and I'm really looking forward to my Christmas cookie, whatever, right? That's not happening. Um, So how can somebody who's a product innovator or a marketer or, you know, any of those use cases that you called out before, know what to expect and how to prepare? Um, and part of the work that we do at TasteWise is to try and help these teams cut down their time from what we said before, 12 to 18 month time to shelf. We really want to help companies cut that down by really expediting their research process. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today plays into that a little bit. Um, so I took a look in the, in the platform just to kind of get a sense. I want to talk about holiday because I think that's a really interesting use case. We're about, what are we, six, five months away yeah. from holiday time? Um, so. How can we understand right now what the top um, kind of dishes or ingredients were for last year? Let's look at year-over-year data. I I did that before um, recording this pod. Um, And we can see that the top associated ingredients for holiday right now uh, are cookies, cake, chocolate, beer, and berry-flavored dishes. So off the bat, we've got kind of five. Just
0: generally for holiday season. Super, super
1: general, right? And I validated that the word holiday um, is mostly associated with Christmas time or with the winter season. Um, That was a a really easy query. Just pop that in, checked it out, validated for sure. Um, So these are the kind of top five categories, cookie, cake, chocolate, beer, berries. So a lot of that sweet, right? We know that sweet just off the bat is really really popular. Um, And if we look at emerging trends, and this is based off of uh, 2020 data, if we look at emerging trends for holiday association, we can see um, carrot cake, almond butter, ginger snaps, and interestingly, cold coffee.
0: So these are much more specific.
1: Exactly. So these are um, less penetrated, right? And by that I mean um, less, let's say, popular in terms of just sheer amount of conversations about these ingredients. They are still significant. Um, yeah. That's not to say they're you know baby baby trends. They're they're definitely significant, but they're also growing a lot faster. So we're seeing. That um, carrot cake, almond butter, ginger snaps, cold coffee, etc., um, have a lot higher growth than those those previous categories we talked about. Um, so I want to kind of contextualize that for us. If we just use our gut feeling and we look at the difference between, let's say, cookies versus carrot cake, or uh, you know, cake versus almond butter, whatever it is, right? Or chocolate versus almond butter. We can see that there's a real specificity to these emerging ingredients, right? Um, That people are really interested in carrot cake rather than the generic. They're interested in almond butter. They're interested in ginger snaps, right? There's a real um, emphasis on ingredients. And I think that really ties into the more kind of global trends that we're seeing or the kind of macro trends, as I like to call them, that have a really big focus on um, Customization, uh, ingredient specificity, looking at the the health qualities, um, even just by looking at this, you know, carrot is the hero ingredient in carrot carrot cake. Are you able
0: to compare that uh, one year back? As well, like not just so we'll 2020, but
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the second piece that I wanna that I wanna talk
0: about. That here. would be really interesting to to see the comparison and how like COVID impacted all for that.
1: For sure, for sure, exactly. Um, and I think functional health and functional eating yeah. is a trend that we were you know already seeing to start moving in 2019. Um, and this is the sh- slingshot to plateau effect.
0: I wonder. I mean, so here, so I, I live in Israel, and and we, um, you know, we celebrate. We have most of our holidays kind of like in the September, October kind of season, but we, but around Christmas, uh, there's Hanukkah and, uh, um, and obviously a lot of those, um, but, but actually like the, the big one, like for, um, um, like here in Israel, but the big one for food is actually uh, Passover. Yeah. Right. Not uh, not like uh, Hanukkah or or the rest of them, which is kind of like in a different time of year. It's around when Easter is. Sure. So um, I wonder, like my point in all of this, but I wonder um, if uh, when we compare 2020 to 2019 and and quite possibly to what we are going to see in 2021, um, if foods that are being prepared uh, kind of solo versus foods that are consumed kind of together has any impact. Cause I, I just know that specifically, you know, for my family where some of these holidays last year we did over zoom mm. <laughs> and it was almost kind of like, you know, here, like at taste we do these uh, virtual cooking classes every now and then where we will all get together on a zoom and someone on the team will, you know, teach us how to make something. Um, and uh So there was a a big difference in that happened in like the food that we actually ended up preparing everybody for themselves during those holidays, uh, just because it wasn't the same dishes that are kind of, like, designed to, you know, uh, like, feed of feed Italian, as, yeah. Uh, yeah. as my mom would say. But, uh, yeah.
1: That's interesting. And there's something about, again, what I called out a minute ago about personalization, right? If you're cooking just for you, yeah, you have a lot more of a flexibility of kind of picking and choosing what works for you. And you're probably relying a lot more also on on maybe on recipes yeah. um, that suit those needs. That's fascinating. We should look into that. Um, I think now is a perfect time to pull out my Star Trek Discovery quote.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: That context is king, um, and that's especially true when we look at these seasonal trends. Right? Nothing exists in a vacuum. If Wasn't a-
0: that context is for kings?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Context is king. It's universal law, is for lackeys. Context is king. I don't know how we wanna to subscribe to the first part of that quote in this context, but let's go with context is king.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that's especially relevant here when we think about um, you know, how people are preparing food, what kind of trends they are, they are uh, jumping into. I wanna remind us that trends, again, don't exist in a vacuum. It's because people are engaging with them and they're engaging with them for a reason. So the motivation at the bottom of it is the context that we need to be aware of. So let's return to our carrot king example. Our carrot king. Our carrot, king. Um, <laughs> our carrot cake example. Um, so, if we look at carrot cake over the course of uh, the last year, we can see that between September to December, there was a nine hundred percent increase. So, carrot cake again, carrot. <laughs> <laughs> carrot cake um, is extremely seasonal in that way, right? We're seeing a 900% increase between just, what, what is that, two, three months, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and we also see a, a lesser rise around kind of the the spring holidays in the US and in, in the UK, that's Easter um, for more kind of Christian-dominated societies. Um, and if we look at over time social discussions, um, we can sort of track what remains the same and what doesn't. So let's, pull it back even to two years ago and we can compare it to 2019 data and we can see that um, carrot cake actually has seen a 43% year over year growth between the peaks of those uh, seasonal mountains, trend spikes. So Mm -hmm. between the peak, which is December of 2019 and the peak of December, 2020, there's a 43% growth. So already that says for me, okay, Carrot cake is a seasonal trend, but it's also an upwardly growing seasonal trend, not just between the rest of the year and the holidays, but between the holidays themselves. So that's that's the first thing that I think is really important for understanding um, what to expect, right? Is looking at these ingredients that you've discovered and then tracking the growth over time at their peaks to see if there's, if there's forward movement.
0: So typically you would see kind of like the valley, right? Between seasons, you would see that um, these trends almost completely crash. Like when I looked at pumpkin beer, sure. like it, it has almost no traction um, when it's not October. Right. right. So here you're saying that essentially between those peaks, I'm sure there's still like comparatively a valley, right? But uh, uh, between those peaks, you're seeing that the trend continues to grow. Does that strengthen the next peak? It makes it like larger from year to year?
1: So yes and no. What I'm saying in this particular context is that at the peaks, um, we are seeing an upward growth. So if you compare peak to peak, we're seeing okay. an upward growth. Um, I'll check in a moment to see if you know that is reflected throughout the course of the year. But I think what's interesting about uh, an ingredient like, or a dish like carrot cake is that there there's this second seasonal aspect to it, right? Okay. So for example, pumpkin, is, is relevant in fall. Not a lot of pumpkin going on, let's say, you know, summer, maybe winter for some soup applications, but pumpkin really firmly in the U.S. at least squarely involved with fall. Yeah. If you look at carrot cake, you're seeing this like huge spike in December and then later on a, a sort of minor spike in springtime. Yeah. Um. So we'll kind of return to this in a moment uh, to see kind of what's going on in between those those. Uh, spikes, and um, so the first step that I that I just called out is looking at the the comparison between those peaks. Um, also looking, I liked your point about it, you know the valleys and what's going on there as well. Um, but the next step is really diving into. All right, we see that carrot cake is more popular in December of twenty twenty than twenty nineteen. Why, right? What's the context? What's the the motivation? What's underneath that? So we can look at the top motivations for carrot cake specifically for holidays, so not year-round, just for for the holidays. Um, 17% of holiday carrot cake eating occasions are vegan, um, which is pretty significant, right? Um, 8% of those are gluten-free. 8%
0: 8% out of the 70% no, no, who are no. vegan or 8%? Out, yeah yeah, generally, yeah, generally. all. there might
1: be some overlap there, but I'm, I'm speaking about just kind of generally, out of all carrot cake occasions for the holidays, 8% of those are gluten-free. Um, and that's, you know, much, much higher than the benchmark also, which is kind yeah. of how we understand the average. Those are, are huge, huge, huge kind of numbers here when we look at the benchmark. Mm-hmm. We're also seeing that FODMAP, um, which is some a diet that um, it's an acronym for specific kind of or- compounds and chemicals, which I'm not gonna remember right now. Um, for sugar specifically, it's something that's often used to help uh, for gut health specifically. So people yeah. who suffer from IBS, et cetera. Um, so FODMAP is a, it's an elimination diet. And we also see that making an appearance with 4% of all holiday carrot cake occasions. And I can't emphasize enough how significant that is. Um, right. and, that's a, and all three of those are relevant to the macro trends that we're seeing throughout the course of the year. So I wanna zoom out for a second. The majority of you listening to this probably don't care that carrot cake is up, you know, let's say 43% December to December. But what is interesting is understanding that within holiday, we're seeing that the motivations that matter to consumers continue to be relevant and are relevant at an even higher level. Yeah. So in the holidays, people are really looking for gluten-free. They're really looking for FODMAP. Um, gut health is where both of those really fit in together, right? They're really caring about gut health. They're really caring about veganism. Um, fresh ingredients as well as 22% of carrot cake occasions. So understanding not only how trends on their own perform, but what's at the root of them um, is really, really important.
0: So So from year to year, we're evolving as consumers, Yeah. right? We're evolving um, as uh, like our diets are evolving, our understanding of sustainability and health and wellness is is evolving. One of the things that uh, we're constantly uh, seeing, which sounds obvious now, but really wasn't up until very recently, is that these are the trends that are disrupting the food and beverage industry, right? Health and wellness, the rise of delivery, uh, the awareness of uh, sustainability as kind of like world health versus personal health. All these things are disrupting the, the industry and are becoming more and more important. And I think a really interesting influence that they're having is that, for example, during the holiday season, you're still gonna eat a lot of food, right? You're still gonna have a lot of dining occasions with family during the holidays. Um, and maybe even the foods themselves, like the dishes themselves that you're gonna turn to are gonna be roughly the same, right? You're still gonna have the pumpkin related things in Halloween, you're still gonna have uh, you know, all of the sweets like during, um, during Christmas season. Um, the motivations to them are slightly changing or even not slightly, even more dramatically becoming different um, and that influences The alternatives that people are turning to, uh, the reason that they're going for certain foods. So, for example, more and more people are turning to carrot cake as a gluten-free alternative um, to a delicious dessert, right? That uh, they still want to have cake and indulgence and, you know. The best of
1: both worlds. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that is crucial in... The way that you're going to position your product, and that's crucial in the products that you're going to offer them to essentially, at the end of the day, produce less waste, right? Mm. Because if we're just going to continue to offer the same products uh, every Christmas, which we sort of have been doing for for many, many years, um, we're essentially creating more and more waste because right. the the mindset of your consumer is changing into something a little bit different. So you're either now offering them the vegan and gluten-free alternatives to uh, traditional holiday dishes, or you're maybe offering the exact same thing, but you're packaging it and messaging it in a different way that speaks more towards um, the reasons that they're engaging with.
1: And those reasons are also year round, right? So you're not going to create a product that has a shelf life of five days during the course of the holiday, right? Meaning like a shelf an interest life on the shelves, right? That someone's gonna say, okay, this is just for Christmas and no other time, right? Um, You can have a product that you can position as being relevant to Christmas, but because it taps into the year round motivations that consumers are interested in, it has a longer relevance to your consumer moving forward, which in turn reduces waste, right? They're not gonna chuck it into the bin um, (laughs) the day after, uh, we're laughing because that is a a Britishism I've picked up here at the office. Um, they're not going to chuck it into the bin, you know, immediately after Christmas, they're going to say, Hey, you know, I had this really amazing gluten-free carrot cake. Maybe I'll make that for mother's day. Maybe I'll have that just as an indulgent treat later in the day. Um, so if there's any kind of big takeaway here, I think it's that consumers are not Checking what matters to them at the door when they enter into holiday season, or when they enter into these seasonal seasonal moments on the calendar, they're entering into these um, kind of food-driven times on the calendar with the fullness of their motivations with them, and saying, "Hey, how can I find a way to merge these together and have a really positive holiday experience while also honoring the the things that I bring with me to my food choices." Awesome,
0: um, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's fascinating. So um, to kind of like wrap up the the thought. What do you think is the the, the main takeaway from this?
1: Yeah, um, main takeaway is the importance of understanding um, trend data not just based on one year. Um, so I think there are two major takeaways. The first one is is tracking the, the performance of your particular category. Uh, diet trend, whatever, over the course of several years, if you can, um, to understand how it performs and kind of ensuring that there's, if not at least an upward movement at the peaks, that there's at least a stability there. Um, And thing two, which I think is the more important application here, is understanding the macro trends that are relevant year round and how they interplay with your product during seasonal moments. Um, So gut health is that really great example we just looked at for carrot cake, right? Um, And understanding that gut health matters to your consumers, to your audience, let's say, you can drill, down even further. Um, and, and using that as kind of your compass when you're creating products for, uh, for seasonal moments. So you're, you're not in the dark. Uh, there's, you know, if you feel like it's July and you're kind of scratching your head and thinking, what am I going to do for December? You actually have a huge amount of trend data out there that you can look at right now, which can help influence what you make, uh, come the the holidays.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So just, uh, finally a few things that I want to touch on is that, um, a lot of the information that we covered, um, we do take from the TasteWise Food Intelligence platform. Um, there's a completely free version of it on uh, tastewise.io that you can go and, uh, and just do a lot of this research yourself, which uh, I think is uh, incredibly exciting. Um, and uh, other than that, um, this was actually inspired by um, a suggestion that we got from our audience. So feel absolutely free to send us a note at live at tastewise.io if there's anything that uh, you want us to dig into. I think that um, on um, maybe on the next one or the or the episode after that, we'll just do uh, an overview of some of the most exciting emerging trends that uh, that we're seeing. Yep. But uh, most of August is going to be dedicated to alternative proteins. So in August, we're gonna be doing um, interviews and podcast episodes and our webinar and our big um, alternative proteins report. Uh, So definitely look forward to that. If you have any questions about that, you wanna try to get your copy early, again, feel free to send us a note live at tastewise.io. And uh, other than that, I think uh, that's uh, pretty much it for today. So, Miriam, thank you so much for taking the time to put together the research and walk us through it. Um, It is uh, very clear that episodes where you're on are more popular. Um, So the Food Intelligence podcast is produced by Ophir Nagar on the TasteWise marketing team and edited by Daniel Gal. So thank you so much for our team that is able to make this happen. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.